Man, good morning, good morning. Good morning, how we doing today? Let's do a little bit better than that. Good morning, how we doing today? Good, good. It's so, so great to be before you today. Uh, as I say every week, it's a, it's a delight and honor to stand before you. It's something that I don't take lightly. Uh, but anytime we get to open up the word of God and, um, and, and be able to engage and let the scriptures literally bear its full weight on us, anytime we get to do that, um, it is nothing but sheer grace. In fact, the, the, the fact that you woke up this morning is nothing but sheer grace. Uh, most of us should have, uh, have died in our sleep last night. Daniel, Daniel talks about this, Daniel chapter 5, where the very next breath that you breathe is held in the Lord's hand. Like he's that much in control of, uh, of your life. And so uh, I count it a privilege and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you for our first time visitors, the three of you. Maybe there was a couple more that we got to uh, say hi to. Thank you guys for coming. We are honored to have you as our guest here today. Uh, many of us gather today with, with mixed emotions, right? We, we're gathering here with, um, m- many of us are, are very solemn, very still grieving, um, confused with a lot of questions. And my hope and prayer today is that we would be able to uh, engage in what the word of God says and, and, um, and pray that we would use that as a lens in, in, in order to see the world. Um, let, let me just say this as, as your pastor, just to make sure that we understand uh, the issues that we are dealing with over the past week, the events that, that have occurred and um, the issues that have sparked up out of that, this is a spiritual battle. Like, let's understand that Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but uh, we wrestle against spiritual forces, ev- evil in heavenly places. And so if you merely walk away and look at uh, two young black men being shot, five cops being shot in Dallas. If you literally walk away from that and think, man, this can be solved with laws, with more guns, with, uh, with, with anything of that nature, what, what you'll walk away doing is having hatred in your heart instead of the only two things we really can do is pray and submit our lives to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so uh, my, my goal and hope today is to, to enter into what the scriptures say. Now, we are going through a series on prayer. I hate that we are in the second week of the series and I've already had to detour, but uh, this week was, was such a traumatic week for many of us. I have gotten many phone calls, many text messages, many emails uh, with just confusion questions. And so I'd like to dig into what the scripture says in terms of racial tension uh, and see where we can go from there. Afterwards, I would like to make uh, this announcement as well. Immediately following service, let me not say immediately, 10, 15 minutes after service, if everyone could head to the room uh, next door, we will have a informal dialogue just about questions and uh, ways we can be agents of change here in our community or whatever community it is that you live in, in Brooklyn, Queens, wherever you live, um, ways you can be agents of change. And some of you may have... um, you know, may have questions. Let's ask, ask those questions there. Uh, but on top of that, listen, all of you have a voice and it's a very important part of our conversation. I don't know if you know this, but um, I don't want to make this an absolute. I just don't know of that many diverse churches in Bed-Stuy. So we have a unique opportunity being able to sit in here with African-Americans, with Nigerians, with uh, Caucasian um, we have uh, Guyanese. There are all different types of ethnic- ethnicities, and if I missed yours, forgive me. 
there's all different types of ethnicities. I cannot get that out today. All different type of uh, ethnicities in this room. And my hope and goal is to see us come together unified under the cross of Christ. That's Revelations 5. Every tongue, every nation. And if you think that we can go through life as a as a multicultural, multi, multi-ethnic church and not engage one another, not bump heads, not, not try to understand another person's culture. If you think we can go through life like that uh, as a church, just, un- just know and understand it's an unhealthy church. Look at how diverse you look when you walk out. If no one is dealing with each other's culture, uh, we are not fulfilling what Revelations 5 says. It's amazing that Apostle John, before I get into our text today, it's amazing that the Apostle John in Revelations, 5, in Revelations 5 sees all these different ethnicities around the throne of the Lamb. It's amazing that he saw them. Like he wasn't colorblind. Like I need you to see my, my culture. I need to see yours and we need to engage. That brings mess and we'll talk about that in the scriptures. Here's what I didn't want to do. I don't want to rush past um, the need to pray. Right, because Colossians 4 2, Paul talks about it continue steadfastly in prayer. That's a scripture that I've quoted here many, many times. Um, what I didn't want to do is run through normal service and not stop and pray, but I'd like to push the pause button today and literally stop in the middle of service and have some popcorn prayer. What is popcorn prayer? I just want a couple people to just pop up, three, four, maybe five people to just pop up, not stand up, but just vocally pop up and just start to pray. And here's what I want to make sure we're praying about. We should be praying about uh, the racial tension in our country. We should be praying about the families of the victims that were shot, both the two African-American men and the five cops that were killed More cops were shot, at least 12 cops were shot. We don't even know the extent of their injuries. Let's be praying for that kind of stuff. Praying for our our community. We are in a gentrified bedsty, but at the same time, a hub for African-Americans. We need to be praying for NYPD in this community and our engagement for them. So what I really want to do is just allow a few people to just stop and pray. Is that okay? Can we do that? Like we are the church. We should be praying for this stuff. So if somebody could just pop up and pray and then let's not have dead moments, right? Those awkward, silent moments like who's about to pray? No, let's jump in and do some prayers and nothing long, but I'd like to, to, to start this off. Daryl, if you could just spark us off and just pray, man. And somebody right when Daryl finishes, someone jump right in and pray. Father, this morning we are, um, we, we're reminded once again of how how fickle life is, how fleeting life is, how your word tells us that it is like a, a vapor. Um, and, and I'm talking all of our lives. At, at best, we'll get 75, 80, 85 years in. But in the span of eternity, that is such a short time. And I pray, Lord, that our time here on earth would not be one where we're silent against injustice, where we turn a blinded eye to it, but it is one that the church would be actively involved in, not just the church corporately, but individually the church, the people of God, the people that have professed faith in you, that we would be agents of change in our city. Father, I do want to pray for the the families of the victims. Um, Many lives have been lost this week um, over nonsense, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that that we would see your hand 
do something amazing through the, this week's tragedies. Let these lives not be lost in vain, but I pray that it would bring about a change. And I'm not talking a change with laws. I'm not talking about a change that Congress can bring, bring about. I'm talking about a change that is central through the church where Jesus Christ reigns and rules. Would that bring about a change in all of our communities? Pray for our churches. I don't pray for just our church. I pray for all of our churches across this country, white, black, Asian, Korea, whatever it is, I pray that you would unify us in such a way that the world would say that's what it's supposed to be like. Would you do that for your glory and for your honor? It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen. Amen. I am, um, I am uh, deeply distressed this week at best. Um, felt some moments of depression, some moments of hurt, some moments of anger. And before even jumping into the text, let me just go ahead and confess that I'm bringing to the table my own personal experience, right? Anybody that stands before you and preaches, anybody that you've ever heard preach always is bringing a hint of their, uh, and we have to pray against it, but we're always bringing a hint of our uh, worldview into the conversation. My, my hope and prayer is that we would allow the word of God to lead and guide our discussion. But at the same time, I don't want to disconnect that I'm an African-American man communicating the word of God. And so I, I want to confess that today. As an African-American man, I want to preach the word, but also bring in my experience. Let, let, me, let me explain that. I don't want you to walk away and say, man, his experience is what was life-changing. No, the word of God, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is, but that doesn't disconnect that I'm an African-American man, right? In America. So let me give you just a little bit of ex my personal experience as being an African-American man in this country, I was exposed to the ugliness of, uh, can I get a little bit more guys, sorry. I was exposed to the ugliness of racism at a very young age. I'm talking eight years old. I was exposed playing uh, in North Carolina, playing Pop Warner football for the Camp Lejeune Devil Pups. Playing football at eight years old, go up to the referee, an older white guy, white man, talk to him and say, hey, number 57's holding my jersey, can you watch him to where he, pulls my face mask, gently pulls my face mask, whispers into my ear, get away from me, nigger. I'm talking eight years old. I'm not like, this isn't an adult. I, I don't even know about racism. So in that moment, right, I, I feel there's no anger. I don't know to be angry. What I feel is fear. Never told my parents. Walked away, never told them because I was afraid that I did something wrong just for being black. Where an, a, a man of what I would consider authority figure right? A referee, someone who I think is supposed to be protecting children. Uh, I'm exposed to just the ugliness of racism. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was the numerous times I was pulled over. I've lost count at this point of how many times I was pulled over uh, and, and told that I fit the description of one. This is the best one. I fit the description of someone who robbed a bank earlier uh, to where I was literally pulled out of the car, searched the car. I was in my mother's car, going through her medication, asking me if I was doing drugs, and then at the end of it, didn't find anything, and then say, have a nice day. No, I'm sorry. No, I can't believe uh, that I pulled you over and there was nothing wrong. Just have a nice day. Uh, it, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was the time that my wife and I hired a... Uh, a Caucasian young girl, we went through a reputable website where we would hire people to watch our kids after school until we got home from work. Hired a, a young uh, Caucasian girl 
uh, who was great, didn't have any issues with her uh, besides scheduling. And so we had to sit her down and tell her we had to let her go because her schedule didn't match up with our schedule. In the midst of that conversation, she gets angry, gets in the car, rolls down the window with my two kids listening, rolls down the window and says, niggers, in front of my house with the two boys sitting right there. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was the time I went to the doctor's office where my wife worked, clinic that she used to work at in Philadelphia, walk into the doctor's office with a sore throat, just want to be examined, just want to make sure everything's going okay. Doctor walks in, starts to ask me a list of questions, which were crazy questions about my sexuality. And it was clear that everything I said to him, he didn't believe. So are you sexually active? Yeah, I'm sexually active. I have a wife. Is your wife a man or a woman? What, what do you mean? Like, then he starts to ask me these more random questions. And every response I gave him, there was no, like there wasn't even a hint that he believed me. Two hours later, he finds out that Ty's my wife, calls me on the phone. Now, when the doctor calls you on the phone, like you expect a call from the office, you expect a call from the administrator or the secretary, get a call back from the doctor himself to where he says to me, man, Christian doctor, by the way, where he says to me, Man, I have to apologize and repent to you because I racially profiled you. You walked in and I had a, a set of assumptions before you even opened your mouth. Over and over and over again. So this racism, racial tension has become norm for me. Right? It's become normal. It's become a normal part of my life. Maybe it's in the church planting world. Plant a church here, right? Go to different churches to talk about support, cast vision, went to one church, I won't name the church that I went to, went to one church and uh, walked in the room. They had like a Bible study before I met with the elders, sat in a room of 60, maybe 50, 60, all white people. I'm the only African-American sitting in the room to where the, uh, the, 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 um, the, the guy that's teaching begins to teach on racism and white privilege. And he did a phenomenal job teaching this. He begins to teach on it, and at the end of it, uh, with high emotions in the room, after teaching, an older white guy comes up to me while I'm talking to the pastor of the church, wraps his arms around me, looks at the pastor and says, in a country voice, I guess I got to be nice to this black fellow, huh? So I basically cannot play football, drive a car, hire a babysitter, go to the doctor's office, or plant a church without being reminded of racism. It's over, it's everywhere. And so I expect that from non-believers, but I don't expect it from the church. One of the most hurtful things I've seen this week was not the fact that two African-American men were unjustly killed. That wasn't the hardest part for me. It's not the fact that five cops were shot and killed. That's not the hardest part for me. That's painful. The hardest part for me was getting on social media looking at the comments. That was difficult for me. I deeply, 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 deeply struggled, not with people that I don't know, but Christians that name the name of Jesus Christ that clearly just don't understand, don't get it. Don't want to engage in conversation to where it's uncomfortable. And instead of engaging in the conversation to where it's uncomfortable, we'd rather go on social media and say dumb stuff like, let me wait to see all the videos come out. How about you just be empathetic and mourn with me? Like, we are deeply hurting. Let's just join in and, and do what the scriptures tell us. Rejoice with those that rejoice. But then there's a time of mourning. Mourn with those that mourn. Now, what I don't want this sermon or my conversation or my, 
my uh, confession of my experiences to be is a bash on any other ethnicity or any other culture. That's not what this is. Because at the end of the day, the church has to be unified on this. Let me tell you what's happening. When the church, when the world looks at the comments and sees the church can't get it together, they're like, how are you expecting us to get it together? And y'all can't even get y'all issues together. Historically, the church has been divided for many, many years. And my hope and prayer is that, um, is that issues like this don't, as they're doing now, expose the immaturity of the church, but show that the church has come a long way. Unfortunately, every time racial issues like this come up, it does expose immaturity within the church. If you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And you guys were like, get to the word. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to spend our time today. Let me just, uh, on, on a positive note, announce that Rodney and Yolanda, Yolanda had the baby. So we're grateful for them. Got to make sure we're praying. Amen. Man, I got to make sure we're praying for them. Ephesians chapter 2, you got it? If you, if you got it, can you say amen? Amen. amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. You know how we'll do. I'll read it, I'll announce my theme, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dig into what the Word of God has to say. Verse number 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself, talking about Christ, is our peace. Who's our peace? Always guess Christ. It's always going to be somewhere in there that's right. For he himself, talking about Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. Listen to this. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I would like to preach from the topic entitled Divided Walls. Divided Walls. Let's pray. Father, this, this week we have so many mixed emotions, so much hurt, so much confusion, but Father, we pray today that the church would be would walk out unified. Pray for our church here. Pray for the churches in this neighborhood, churches across this country, uh, in different communities. Pray that they would walk in a spirit of, of unity as well. Shield us from hatred. Shield us from ignorant comments, but help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do. And that's to be a light in the midst of darkness, to be salt in this world. Would you help us to do that, God? Father, many of us in this room, if we're deeply, deeply honest, underneath the surface of everything we do is a hint of racism. All of us in here, all of us have it. Help us expose it today. Expose our hearts today and let us walk out of here not angry, not upset, not even confused, but let us walk out of here saying we're unified under the blood of Jesus Christ. Do that today, oh God. Convict us. We need conviction today, Lord. And only you can bring that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
divided walls. I read a book one time called When a Nation Forgets God. It's by uh, a guy named Dr. Erwin Lutzer. In the book, he, he's talking about the church's actions in Germany during the Holocaust. Now, y'all remember the Holocaust, right? Six million Jews were taken to concentration camps and taken to their death. What was the church doing in Germany during that time is the question. Well, someone that was there, Dr. Erwin Lutzer talks about it. This is what he, he, he wrote in this book, When a Nation Forgets God. He says this, he says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because, we couldn't, because there was nothing we could do to stop it. There was a railroad track, listen to this, there was a railroad track that ran behind our small church. And each Sunday morning, we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard cries from the train as it passed. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in cars. Week after week, the whistles would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those whistles because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to their death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blowing, listen to what the church did, we began to sing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. I still hear the train whistling, and in my sleep, I still hear the train whistling in my sleep. God, forgive me, forgive all of us who call ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. This is where the church is now. My fear is we're looking at social media, we're looking on the news, we're looking at Fox, we're looking at CNN, we're seeing the issues that are plaguing African-American communities, we're seeing the issues that, of cops getting shot, and what are we doing? Don't re be reminded, two cops got shot here in, in Bed-Stuy not too long ago. And so this isn't an issue that doesn't impact us right here. What is the church doing? We're singing louder. We're singing hymns. The train tracks are running behind us. We're listening to the screams and the cries of people that are going to their death camps and we're singing. Corporately, I'm not just talking us here, I'm talking corporately. We're just singing and singing and singing and singing and we're, what we're trying to do is drown out the noise of the issues. Listen to me, the only thing worse than hatred is indifference. If we just sit back and just say, man, whatever, we just come together, we worship, we sing, and we go out of here. One of the most beautiful things I saw this morning was watching Jordan with his CCM feel with a gospel singer, Felicia singing with her gospel tone. One of the most beautiful pictures. But if that's it, what are we doing? We have to walk out of here and be unified. If our church looks like this, your dinner table should look like this. If our church is diverse, your, who's in your life should be diverse. And so... The issues that are plaguing our country and our communities has really exposed the unhealthiness and the immaturity of the church. Let's not, listen to me, Epiphany, let's not sing louder and ignore what is going on. Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all that believe. Then he says something so, so, so important. If we miss the next part, we'll miss the whole part of what we're talking about in this text. 
He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation for all that believe. First the Jew, not only. First the Jew, then the Greek. And so he shows us that Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, whatever you want to call them, Jews and Gentiles are both receiving the gospel and coming into community. Now you think we got issues. You think we can't get our racial tension together. Look at Jews and Gentiles. I, I would almost say they're like oil and vinegar. They're not even that because they're not even in the same bottle. They're like completely separate. Jews and Gentiles did not mix. But Paul says in Romans 1.16, my gospel isn't just for Jews. This gospel of Jesus Christ is for Jews and it's for, it's for Gentiles. When I was in Karen University, which is where I got my Bible degree, I was in Karen University and they taught us about Paul's missionary journeys. I'm going somewhere. I'm still in the text. In the text, he's talking about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. When I was at Karen University, they taught us about Paul's missionary journeys. And in Paul's missionary journeys, he would go to different places and plant churches. I was always amazed at the two things he would do when he entered a city. When he would enter the city, the first thing he would do is say, where's the synagogue? I need to preach the gospel message to my Jewish brothers. The second thing he would do is say, where are the Gentiles hanging out? Okay, let's get some Bible on this. Acts chapter 17. Don't turn there unless you want to. Acts chapter 17. Paul walks in to Thessalonica, walks into it and says, where's the synagogue? The Bible said he reasoned at the synagogue for days. Who was at the synagogue? The Jews. Reason with the Jews for days if you keep going in that chapter, you'll see he then leaves the synagogue and goes to the Areopagus, where the, where the Greek philosophers were. Why did he go there? Because he wanted to preach the gospel to non-Jews. And so over and over again, Acts 19, see the same thing. Paul walks into Ephesus. He walks in, what does he do? Preaches the gospel in the synagogue. Bible says that they examine the scriptures. He preaches the gospel to Jewish people in the synagogue, then goes on a little bit later, and by the way, it was three months he preached the gospel in the synagogues. Goes on a little bit later, and he starts to preach at the hall of Tyrannus, which was known as Greek territory, non-Jews. He goes and preaches the gospel there. And then verse number 10 of Acts 19 says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So it's clear to us in scripture that Paul preached the gospel to do different ethnicities and seeing them come together. Paul now has a problem in our text. Paul has a problem. What is the problem Paul has? He sees Jews believe Jesus Christ, believe the gospel, turn away from just believing in salvation through the law, but turn to Jesus as the only means to salvation, preaches the gospel to Gentiles. They get saved. Now what do you do? Paul does not start a church on the south side and a church on the north side for Jews. He didn't start a Jewish church and then start a Gentile church. Think about how much easier that would have been. That would have been easy. So let's segregate them, right? There'll be no issues. There's no dietary issues. You know, Jews eat what you want to eat. Gentiles eat what you want to eat. As long as we're both worshiping Jesus, Paul doesn't do that. He plants a church and says, y'all get together. He plants a church and says, you guys get together. Now, Gentiles and Jews, as I said, they, they had no mixing. They, I mean, Jews literally thought that Gentiles were the fuel that fired heaven. They, they thought that, like, I don't know if you guys know this, it was unlawful for a Jewish person to assist a Gentile woman in birth because their fear was that they were bringing another heathen into the world. 
So that's how, like, this is how disconnected they were. They just didn't even want to mix with Gentiles. Jews thought that Gentiles were dogs. They just were, they weren't even human beings. They were dogs. But Paul says, hey, the gospel has impacted both of y'all. What do I want y'all to do? I want you guys to get together. Paul shows us here that the dividing wall that's talked about in this text between Jewish, Jews and Gentiles has been crushed in the cross. The cross has literally acted as a sledgehammer against dividing walls. But the church has been so good at doing what? Rebuilding those walls. We've been so great at that. Let's look at verse number 11 through 13 real quick. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, talking to the Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul now says, Gentiles, I know that the Jews have been God's covenant people, but now, Gentiles, you're being adopted in. You're being grafted in. We're now re- I'm now reconciling you together. I don't know if you guys know this, but it, in certain states, adoption laws, as it relates to uh, inheritance after the, the parents have died, if you were adopted into the family, if there was three biological kids and one adopted son, in some states here in America, you can amend and change your your will to take out your biological kids, but you can't take out the adopted kid. So they're secure. What Paul is saying to the Gentiles, you were far off from Jesus. You had no hope, but the gospel has brought you near. One of the things I love about our passage, at least 11 through 22 of this verse, and we're not going to go through all of them. One of the things I love about them is if you read the preceding verses, I mean, some of my favorite verses In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, what is Paul laying out there? The gospel message. How do I know that? He's talking about how all of them, both Jews and Gentiles, are dead in their sins. That they're by nature children of wrath is what Paul calls them. What does he say in verse 4? But now, but God, being rich in mercy with his great love, has loved us. By the end of that chapter, it says it's not by works. 1 through 10 is some of the most clear Christological picture of Jesus Christ and the gospel that we get. What does he do though? He preaches the gospel in one through 10 and says, you're reconciled vertically to God. Now, horizontally, you must be reconciled to one another. The the passage we get today comes off of the heels of the gospel. What am I saying? The gospel is not for us to wax eloquent over how our relationship with God has been bridged because of the gospel. The gospel should bear its weight in places like Minnesota. It has to bear its weight in places like Baton Rouge and Ferguson and Staten Island when a man is getting choked. If we can come together, preach the gospel, go out and do nothing else with it, we're being unfaithful to what Paul is saying to us today. Paul says, Jews, Gentiles, you've been, you've been blood bought by Jesus Christ. You were once far off, but the blood of Christ has brought you near. Now I need y'all in relationship. I don't need y'all... Christologically saying the gospel, seeing the gospel, walking out and being silent on issues. No, 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 no. This thing has to come together. Some of the easiest ways that this thing should come together is how you interact with one another. 
right? How different ethnicities act. Acts 15, we see how Paul is talking about dietary restrictions between Jews and Gentiles, right? Jews didn't eat any types of meat, but what did Gentiles, man? Gentiles would have a slab of ribs in a second. But here's the problem. They're both now at the dinner table. So if I'm at the dinner table eating my ribs, you're at the dinner table and you're abstaining from that, we have issues, so Paul is saying, no, 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 you guys can't have issues. Do you know that the only place in the ancient world where they got to see Jews and Gentiles actually interact in a meaningful way was in the church? They didn't have any framework for it outside of the church, but they get to look inside the church at Ephesus and see Jews and Gentiles, not just together, but genuinely enjoying one another. Right, I told you about Revelations 5, every tongue, every tribe. This is not colorblind. I'm also, I'm coming to the table with my own culture. I need you to enter in. You're coming to the table with your culture. I need to enter in. That's how the church is supposed to work. We're not supposed to be blind to, to like colorblind. No, we have different upbringings. Now, the, 21st, the, the church in the 21st century isn't, the diverse church isn't some phenomenon. This was the norm in the text. Like if Paul came right now, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if Paul was reincarnated, walked into our churches today and saw an African-American church, saw an Asian church, saw an Anglo church, he would be, mind would be blown. He'd be confused. Why? Because he's right in here. Listen, bring that together. Why are we separated? Why have we rebuilt what Christ has torn down over and over again through church history? We seize that. Now, let, let me say this. It's not easy. I don't want to preach this like, man, just get together, have people around your dinner table that don't look like you. I want you to do that, but know that it brings mess, right? It, bring, it takes hard conversations. It takes a conversation of how do you see that video? What do you see when you see that? And listening to one another, being angry, but sin not. Being angry with one another, saying, man, I'm, I'm really hurt by how you feel. But wrestling well together. Paul does this with, with, with Peter, right? In Galatians chapter two, Paul sees Peter being hypocritical. He's, Peter's preaching the gospel. Jews and Gentiles are being saved. More Jews come after Peter has been interacting with the Gentiles. More Jews come in Galatians three. And what does Peter do? He pulls away. Paul sees him and calls him out on his hypocrisy. And in the midst of calling him out, Paul doesn't see this as a social issue. He doesn't see it as a political issue. Paul sees the issue of what Peter is doing and says, when I noticed that they were out of step with the gospel, what am I saying? Us not being able to racially reconcile is a gospel issue. It's not a social issue only. It's not a political issue only. Don't expect Congress to fix what's going on. Where only the gospel can fix that. Only the gospel can bridge us together. I say it every week. Sometimes I'm walking down the street with Brian and he has his hair flowing. You know, when Brian walks and the wind is blowing, it's like a flow that he has with the hair, especially if he has it out. Like me and Brian would have nothing in common outside of the gospel. We'd have probably walk right by each other like Brian has his sleeve, right? His tattoos. I don't have a sleeve. So me and Brian probably wouldn't be in relationship, but through the gospel, him and I are able to wrestle together. 
He's able to text me and be like, man, what, what's going on? What, what are you thinking? This is what I'm thinking. We're able to have deep, meaningful conversations because the gospel brings us together. Not because of laws. Thank God for the civil rights movement. I'm thankful for that. I mean, I can sit on, I rode the bus yesterday with my wife. I got to choose any seat I wanted to sit on. Civil rights movement. Laws changed. I get to drink from any water fountain. I hate the water fountain, so I don't drink from it. But if I wanted to, I get to drink from any water fountain I want to. I get to go to any school I want to. It's illegal to segregate me based on the color of my skin. Thank God for the civil rights movement. What the civil rights movement did was change laws. Here's where it was weak. It didn't change hearts. The gospel. This is why we preach it every week. The gospel is the only thing that can change hearts. The message of Christ is the only thing that brings us together. And so Paul sees, Paul sees Peter acting hypocritical with someone that doesn't look like him, eat like him, vote like him, and says, you're out of step with the gospel. When I saw that they were out of step with the truth of what Jesus Christ came to do, this is not just a social issue, it's a, it's a gospel issue. If we embrace segregation, we're against the gospel. I'm going to go a step further. If we're silent on issues, we're against the gospel. Like Paul didn't see what was going on, didn't say nothing to Peter. He saw it and he addressed it. What we do is we see it and we say, I'm not saying nothing, partly because we don't know what to say. Or we, we speak out of anger. I was talking with one of the members about that earlier today, how we speak out of anger instead of speaking out of the truth of what the gospel is look at verse number 14, which has really captured my thinking all week. I thank God for verse number 14 because if verse, verse number 14 wasn't here, if I'm honest with you guys, I would have been the dude tweeting some reckless stuff. I'm, I would have been that dude. Verse number 14 says this. I had to be reminded. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. Here it is. The dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. The interesting thing about the dividing wall is if you looked at the temple during this time that Paul wrote this, the original temple was divided up into four courts, right? It was a wall that divided each court. The, the outer, the farthest section, court, if you will, was called the, the, the court of the Gentiles. The next one was the court of the women. The next one was the court of Israel. Then the next one was the court of priests. Farthest one. So we could come to the temple as Gentiles, but we couldn't worship with the Jews. So we'd have to be in the outer court. But what is, what is Paul telling us in this text? That wall, that partition that stopped us from worshiping together has been crushed, has been divided. But historically, what have we done? We took the hammer and the nails out and started rebuilding the wall. Over and over again, we see this. In the 1870s, they actually found this dividing wall in Herod's temple. And on the dividing wall, there was an inscription that said, proceed no further upon fear of death. In other words, Gentiles could not, if they walked past that wall, they literally could die. Rome, uh, the, the, the Jews purchased the right from Rome to kill any Gentile that walked past that wall. This is why Paul was in jail the last time. The very last time Paul's in jail, it's because they made up this thing that he brought Gentiles into the temple. It was that serious. Riots broke out for stuff like this. And so there was a dividing wall. 
But in our text today, Paul says that wall has been destroyed. Historically, what have you done though? You started to rebuild this wall over and over again. In Philadelphia, there's a man by the name of Richard Allen. I don't know if you know Richard Allen. He is the founder of the the African American Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church. He's the founder of it in the 1700s. In the 1700s, he he walks into a Methodist church that's segregated. Now, African Americans could go into the Methodist church, but there was a a whites-only section of the church. You couldn't go to that section. Does that sound familiar to our text, the dividing wall? And so Richard Allen walks into the whites-only section. True story, 1700s, 1780s, somewhere around there. Walks in, gets on his knees, starts to pray in the whites-only section. The white deacons literally come, pick him up off of his knees, throw him outside, and ban him from ever being being a part of that church ever again. African-Americans then are... Furious, They're upset. What do they do? They buy a blacksmith shop a few weeks later and start the first African-American Methodist Episcopal Church. Do you know that African-American denominations started because our white brothers and sisters wouldn't let us in? They wouldn't let us worship together, dividing wall. Same thing with Pentecostalism. Most of the major um, African-American Denominations were started because we couldn't worship together with our white brothers and sisters. Same thing with the Pentecostalism. William Seymour is the father of Pentecostalism. If you study this stuff, I'm, I'm like really into church history. If you study William Seymour, uh, which started the Azusa Street Movement, which branched off Church of God in Christ. Any major Pentecostal denomination was all started from the Azusa Street Movement. William Seymour could not go. There was a guy named Bruce Parham. He owned a, a school, a Bible college, and William Seymour wasn't allowed in that college because of the segregation laws. William Seymour would literally sit in the hallway, sit in the hallway, and listen to the Bible teaching so that he can go back to African Americans and teach them. So do, do you see the dividing wall over and over and over again where Paul is saying that wall has been destroyed? It's been, but what do we do? We try to reconstruct what the Lord has torn down over and over again. When I read tweets and I read comments on Facebook and Instagram this week, all I saw was the church ignorantly trying to build those walls back up. That's all I saw all week long. But Paul tells us here, in Christ, that dividing wall has been torn down. Can you imagine if that wall wasn't there? And the two officers that shot shot Alton Sterling were actually in a DNA group together. Like imagine if Darren Wilson and Michael Brown were in small group together in this church. Can you imagine that? That is the importance. The multi-ethnic church, multi-cultural church is the answer to the world's problems. Seeing the gospel hit all of us in a way that we're all unified. Imagine if they were in relationship. Imagine if they were around each other's dinner table praying. That wouldn't have happened. But we see issues like this because over and over again, the church is too busy saying, I need more facts before I can weigh in on injustice. I need more videos. I need to see a different angle. Was his hands in his pocket? Was his hands up? I need to see it instead of saying, man, I'm going to enter in and mourn. And through that, I'm going to pray that the gospel would bring us together. Epiphany, that's my hope with us today. 
When you tweet out stuff like all lives matter, it's an offense. Can I tell you why it's an offense? Because, the, and I'm not saying I'm pro black lives matter. That's not what I'm saying because if I'm honest, black lives matter. See, the civil rights movement was able to move some things because the church was in charge. Martin Luther King led. Where's the, who's leading that black lives matter? It's not the church. So I'm not 100% Black Lives Matter in terms of their organization, but I will say this. The hashtag itself, Black Lives Matter, doesn't mean all lives don't matter. It just means the disproportionate number of African Americans that are being killed is the focus. And so when you tweet all lives matter, what you're doing is, and see, that, that's what killed me this week. This week, if I sent something out just of, of my heart of where I'm mourning, the questions I get is, what about black on black crime? What about the abortion rate in the African-American community? We know those are issues. I mean, some of the highest crime rates, Chicago, Camden, these are black neighborhoods. We know these are issues. The abortion rate in Brooklyn is 44% among African-American women. That's one, that's almost half of the pregnancies in, in Brooklyn are ending in abortion. We know it's an issue. But why when I'm mourning the death of two African-Americans that are unlawfully killed, why do I have to answer all of the, the cultural problems that we have within the African-American community? Why at that moment? That's the issue that we're having, dividing wall. That's what it is. It's a dividing wall. Like, me answering those questions is like going, I was telling Brian early, it's like going, it's like someone going to a, a cancer uh, a, a, died that, a guy that died of cancer going to his funeral and saying to the family, why are y'all mourning over cancer? We should be talking about motorcycle accidents. It's insensitive. And so our, what we need to do is we need to enter into mourning. Walls, divided walls over and over again. And I'm not talking non-Christians. We have to be intentional people. We have to be intentional about this stuff. Like Paul intentionally in Acts 17 and Acts 19 went to the synagogue and went to where the Gentiles hung out. Intentionally did that. If we're not intentional, it's a problem. Verse 15. Verse 15 says something powerful as well. After he talks about dividing walls, he says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. One new man is what we see through the gospel. One new man. In fact, the word new, if you look it up in the original language in the Greek, there's two words for new. Two words Paul could have used in this text. One of them is neos, N-E-O-S. Neos speaks to newness in, 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 in relation to time. So the newest iPhone, the newest Jordans, the newest car, that's what neos is. Paul doesn't use neos here. He uses another word. He uses kainos. It's a different word. That speaks of invention. That speaks of something that's never, in fact, when you look it up, it says it's never been seen before. So what Paul is saying is when we're talking about Jews and Gentiles getting together, it's kainos, it's not neos, it's never been seen. And so the world looking at a church that's unified, not bickering, not fighting, not tweeting dumb stuff to each other, but a unified global church coming together to really deal with issues, he's saying, man, I don't even have a category for that. It's kainos. It's like my mind is blown. I have no category for it. It's, it's kainos. And so what he's showing us here is that us getting together, different cultures, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different world upbringings, different ways in which we vote, 
us coming together and being able to be unified, it's unbelievable. Like, I, I don't even have a category. And so Paul is so serious about that. Verse 16, he uses some really graphic language as I start to land the plane. He says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. There it is again. Through the cross. What reconciles us to cross? Look at this graphic language. Thereby killing the hostility. Like he didn't hurt the hostility. Right? He didn't, the hostility didn't have a cold. It didn't need Theraflu. He killed it. And so when we're getting together, what we're seeing is the issues that the world is all fighting over, the church should be able to say, that was killed in Christ already. Like y'all arguing over that? Let me, come watch us. Let us show you how to do this thing. Like people should be, people should be blown away. If Christ is not central in our multi-ethnicity, what we are is just a subway car. We're just a bunch of different ethnicities all sitting next to each other. None of us are unified. But when Christ is central, you have the blood-bought church. You have those of us that are submitting our lives under Jesus Christ. What are some practical steps you can take as we, talk, as we land the plane? I said it already. Get in some relationships with people that don't look like you. Acts 15, man, they, I'm telling you, they had to bring the Jerusalem council in because they could not... They could not figure out the dietary laws between Jews and Gentiles. Get somebody in. There's no other way better to learn a different culture than by watching them cook. Can I get an amen right there? Like, you learn some stuff when you watch somebody from an Asian culture make bok choy. And, like, I don't even know what that is. I, I, there was a, uh, in our old church, there was a, a, a couple, it was, a, it was a different ethnicity couple. It was a white man and an a Asian lady. She came in the kitchen and was like, let me show you how to cook. And she brought out all this stuff and she started, like, seasonings I never saw before. You know how much I learned about her from that? You know how much I learned about her culture? Like, most of us don't want to enter into another culture. Can I be honest with you? I could not get my degree. See, the, the school I went to was a predominantly white school, Karen University. Great school, nothing bad to say about the school. Theologically sound school. Professors loved us well, taught us well. But the, I couldn't get my degree without learning that culture. I, could, I couldn't work in corporate America without learning a different culture. But some of us in here, we can go through our whole lives and never engage a different culture. Invite somebody in practical. Invite somebody into your home. Get in DNA with somebody that don't look like you. So, so, so practical. The other thing we can do is let's stop being quiet on these issues. Like these are major issues, yet we're quiet. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He was another German pastor during the time of the Holocaust. In fact, he, he, his, like his life was ended because he was against Adolf Hitler. This is what he says. He says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Let's stop being silent. Let's stop being silent. If you don't know what to say, won't you engage with somebody else from a different culture and say, man, what are you feeling right now? Because I just don't understand it. But at some point, we got to speak. Corporately as a body, but individually, we got to speak to one another. How many of you outside of your own culture actually engage with somebody else from a different culture this week? Don't answer that. We should be doing that on a consistent basis. Third practical thing we can do is pray for empathy. Let's pray for empathy. Like some of us don't know how to join into someone else's grief. Let's pray for that. 
Let me put myself in your shoes. Like historically, we've been quiet. Like African-Americans were drug out to the street and hosed down in front of churches. And we're singing louder. Practical things we can do. I'm going to end with this verse, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? This isn't a suggestion. He's requiring this. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Can you imagine if we all did justice? Can you imagine if we all loved mercy? And if we all walked humbly with our God? Doing justice doesn't mean not doing injustice. What do I mean by that? Just because I wasn't the one that pulled the trigger doesn't mean that I did justice. It means I just didn't do injustice. Requirement, do justice. Actively be involved in it. Every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are confessing our need for you in terms of racial reconciliation. Father, we are, we're broken today. We're broken as a nation. We're broken as a church. We're divided as a church. We're divided as a nation. But Father, what we need most of all is the cross to impact us in such a way that we'll genuinely want to enter into someone else's culture, enter into someone else's grief, enter into someone else's pain. Father, forgive us. Forgive us as a church. Forgive us as individuals for seeing the cultural racial tension and saying nothing. Forgive us for jumping too quickly to conclusions without entering in with someone else. Father, would you help us to build relationships within this church? Help us to build relationships within our community so that we can fight against the injustice. Father, our home is not here. But while we're here, the gospel is not some foreign, I can't wait to get to heaven and I'm not going to do anything here. But the gospel deeply impacts what we do here. First Thessalonians 4. Would you help us today to walk out of this room and not be the same? Those of you who, those of us who have confessed our faith in you, help the gospel really genuinely impact how we engage with one another and how we engage with these issues. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, some of us need to do business today. We need to do, we need to do business with you. We need to and repent to you and repent to one another. We've been judgmental. We've been the doctor when I walked in the doctor's office with a set of assumptions in our mind. Father, we are living in this, in this neighborhood, a gentrifying neighborhood that is rapidly changing. At a hub for African-Americans, so much tension can happen right here on Nostrand Avenue. What are we doing to engage it? Give us ideas, give us discernment, give us wisdom. You said if we ask you for it, you'll give it to us generously. Forgive us, Lord. It's in Christ's name, amen. Those of you who are serving communion, if you could come.